This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. So the Nashville Predators, they fight back, but they lose in overtime to the Ducks last night. So the Western Conference is even at two games apiece. And the Ottawa Senators up two games to one. Tonight we'll play game four against the Penguins to try to take a stranglehold on this series. And the voice of the Ottawa Senators, a great guy, Dean Brown, and he joins us here on Game Misconduct. How are you, man? I'm doing well. You? Good. Very well. Not as well as you and not as well as the Ottawa Senators. Now, I think the hockey world is genuinely surprised that the Senators are two wins away from a Stanley Cup. But more importantly, the guy that's around them every day, are you surprised? Uh, I know people are expecting to, me to say, uh, no, I'm not surprised. But yes, I am. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and in one way, yes, in one way, no. Um, you know, when this started happening, then you look for the signs that you didn't notice before. And you start to say to yourself, okay, now now I understand how they got here. At the beginning of the year, to be honest with you, even though if you look at the preseason prognostication publications, you know, the hockey news, the hockey forecast, or all the other places that print this stuff up, they predicted Ottawa would either be last or second last in the East, and certainly not a playoff team, but rather a lottery team. And you pretty much knew that by Christmas time that wasn't true. They had been a playoff team basically since the start of the season, if you look at their point progression. And so, you know, very early on they were going to be a playoff team. At the beginning of the season, I, I said that they would be either in by a couple of points or out by a couple of points, but they would be in the 7-8 category, and I think they fin- end up finishing, you know, uh, sixth. So right in around where I thought they would. But I think where one of the things that I didn't really see or take much notice of or should have, and I was as guilty as everybody else in just looking at, you know, reputations and perceptions. The reality was that if you looked over the course of the regular season, the Ottawa Sounders played their best games against the best teams. The the higher the skill level on the team, the more frustrating Ottawa's system was to play in. And so if you look at Ottawa's record and actually see who they beat and who they were close to during the regular season, it was most of the better teams and actually teams that were, you know, more meat and potatoes mm-hmm. and grind. Those were the teams they had a harder time with and maybe because they played a lot more like Ottawa did. So as we get to this point, uh, the season, I, uh, the postseason, I, I think now it's pretty clear that, you know, Ottawa has playing has played this style, playoff style hockey for a very long time, and they don't get flustered in one goal games, whether they're up by a goal or down by a goal. And that's a great trait to have if you're a playoff team. But maybe most importantly, their system and the way they played is exceedingly frustrating and difficult yeah. for skilled players to play through. And I think that is really what is, you know, got them where they are right now. And the other thing too is any game that they play, Dean, they've got one of the best players in the league on the ice, and that's Carlson. We've had conversations about him before, how skilled he was offensively. But what has Guy Boucher done to fine-tune his game where he can really shine in these moments? Well, I don't know if Guy has done anything. You know, Guy, Guy is one of those guys where he says the players play. We just provide them with the roadmap and the structure. And I think probably before the season started, um, Guy did whatever it is he's going to do. And simply that was by you know, having long conversations with Eric Carlson to get to know him. He's not just the captain. He's the best player on the team by far, best defenseman in the world. So you want to be on the same wavelength as that guy. And he made Eric understand that the system that he was developing was specific to this team. It's just not a general run-of-the-mill system. He wanted to create something that suited these players on this team. But most importantly, this system is designed around Eric. It is designed to basically function with him in the middle of it all the time. And so as a player, you always like it when, let's face it, the system is designed for you. But also the the recognition that, you know, 
we need everybody on this team to be a two-way player, and that starts with you. If you play that way, then everybody's going to buy in and play that way. And Eric bought into that right away. And not that he'd been obstinate before. The reality mm-hmm. was in the two previous uh, head coaches, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, when they phrase it like, you know, well, he's finally thinking about defense. I. I, I always caution people about that, and I say, you know what? I, I've known Eric since he was a teenager. I've known Eric since the day he showed up. Eric is not an arrogant guy. Eric is not a me guy. And the reason that he concentrated more on offense through the last two head coaches is because that's what they asked him to do. They asked him to get up the ice. They wow. asked him to lead the offense. They asked him to play that way. Now, this coach has asked him to play a little bit differently, and he has. But he has never been obstinate. He has never been about him or his stats. He really doesn't care. So I, I do kind of have to caution people about just assuming that he decided to finally buy in. He's always done what he's been asked to do. I think this time, though, this coach, Don, the bottom line was that he asked him to be you know, more of a two-way player because this system is designed to, to have every player be a two-way player. So as a team, their offense has suffered greatly, but they're far more successful as a team because of the way they play defensively. But as the Rangers saw in round two and what the Penguins are seeing here, you guys can counterpunch, and there's enough offense uh, to really complement that one-three-one, that defensive philosophy. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think sometimes people forget that, with with uh, with the exception of the exchange of Mika Zibanejad for Derek Brassard, it's basically the same team that it was last year. And last year, this team was only out of the top ten offensively for one day. There was one day in March, and Gordon and I, my counterpart on radio, we now wish that we had written down which day that was, but it was the day in March, <laughs> right? And it, and it was the only day that Ottawa was out of the top ten. So, ironically enough, last year they uh, they were one of the top ten offensive teams in the league, but couldn't make the playoffs. Well, virtually those same players are on this team, and I think this year, if you look at their offensive numbers, they were twenty second. So it's just they concentrated more on shutdown, but it doesn't mean those skills that got them top ten last year weren't still there. And I think the other the other thing too is that you know I think that uh, people you know you just said like the one three one. This team plays four different systems simultaneously, depending on what's going on. It's like a pitcher; they're going to throw a changeup, then they're going to throw a fastball, and it is not just unfair, but it's just not factually true to say that they just play the one-three. Right. They play the one-three-one. They play a one-two-two. They play a left-wing lock, and they most often play a left-wing defense lock. Those are the four systems they include, depending on the time of the game, who's on the ice, and what they do. And I think a lot of people just have this idea that the one-three-one is is boring and bad for hockey. Well, they play a whole bunch of different ways at different times in the game, and and that's really what his system is, is modifying how they play to the players that he has and what's going on in the game. And you can see different combinations of all four of those things in almost every game. All right, uh, we're talking to Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. Of course, they've got the game tonight in Ottawa to take a 3-1 series lead if they can win it. Uh, The big deal going into this game, Dean, was who would Sullivan go with, Murray or Flurry? And it looks like he's going to go with Murray for game four your thoughts on that uh I gotta say I'm a little bit surprised uh you know I'm I'm surprised that uh, and obviously you know they needed a save or two in the last game and and all the puck luck in that game was going Ottawa's way and nothing went Pittsburgh's way you know they every bad bounce went against Pittsburgh in that game and sometimes that's going to happen but you know when you're going through a coach's mind, and I know that he was, I'm sure he was weighing all these things, but, you know, you weigh the, the who got you here part of it. You weigh the fact that if you ask Sidney Crosby, and he has a say on that team, you know that he would say Flurry because that's his guy, that's his buddy. 
and he believes in him. So, you know, your captain and your best player would not have made this decision, I'm sure, if truth be told. And I think just what it says to your team, because as a coach, you put yourself in a tough spot now where if you sit Flurry down now and you do end up moving on in this series, if you ever get to a point with Matt Murray, it, it's harder to put Flurry back in because you basically took him out of, you basically took the starting job away from him during a Stanley Cup run. Right. And that's that's hard that's hard to go back and say, Now can you go back in and win it for me now? Now that I've basically <laughs> yanked you uh, last round, can you go back in and win it for me now? So for all those reasons I'm surprised that they're going to Murray. I think probably Less of a surprise than in other places in that you're replacing a Stanley Cup winning goaltender with a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. So you can sell that to the media and your fans. But Matt Murray hasn't played in a month. And he came in and he looked pretty good in a game where when he came in in the last game, the game was over. There's no pressure on him. Right. And he's got adrenaline going. There's, I, I really, you know, I'm not a coach. I'm not an expert. But I, I think I think this is a very risky move by Sullivan yeah. for all the all the signals it sends to your team. You know, yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised too. But we'll see how it works out. You know, if he wins the series, he's a genius. If he loses the series, I think we'll look back at it. But uh, I wanted to get you on too because there's always this perception, as you just said, about you know the, the the defensive trap and you know the boring style and what's wrong with Pittsburgh instead of complimenting what's right with Ottawa. I mean, that seems to be the general sense. Or well, they're, now they're finally missing Latang. All the injuries that they've had on the blue line are finally catch up with the Penguins. And, and I'm sure, Dean, to a certain extent, that's true. They are the yep. defending Stanley Cup champions, but I think people need to give credit to the coaching job of Guy Boucher and what the Ottawa Senators uh, have done. And, and that this is, this is a legit team. Is this comparable to what you went through in 07 when I think the Senators were looked upon as a better team than this Senator team? But there are, are there similarities between the runs? Uh, you know what? Not really, Don, because that team that team probably was a better team the year mm-hmm. before it went to the final, you know? So there was that gradual build in that team where you and everybody else could see it coming, you know? Like, you could see that was going to be a championship team, a, a team that was capable of winning and getting all the way to the final. You could see it for two years before that. You know, this is a team that, you know, missed the playoffs last year. You just, yeah. you just don't often assume that a team that misses the playoffs – uh, you know, gets to the conference final and, and has a, at least a 50-50 chance of making it to the Stanley Cup final the year after they missed the playoffs, you know, and changed their coach and changed their general manager and changed all the assistants. And, you know, it just it just doesn't set up – this doesn't set things up where you say, you know, this is what I know these guys are. In 07, you really knew what they were, you know, and and they were a goaltender away. You know, if Dominic Hasek wouldn't have gotten injured in the Olympics and they didn't have to put the whole thing on the shoulders of a 23-year-old Ray Emery to carry the load, you know, 07 may have ended differently. You, you never really can tell. But that one had a lead-up to it where the team mm-hmm. was good for a couple of years. This one, you know, like I said off the top, you know, I call every game. I've seen every move, and I thought they were, you know, a team that would either make the playoffs by a point or two or miss the playoffs by a point or two. And pretty much everybody has been the same. And I think in our business, you know, you can't get around the fact that that reputation and perception – you know, has a lot to do with it. If you perceive a team as a good team, it takes a lot to convince you that they aren't. You know, and not that it matters, because predictions are just fun things we do, but it does indicate what sense you have of it. And if you look at, you know, for example, NHL.com, four of the 21 contributors at NHL.com predicted Ottawa would win the Ranger series. Mm-hmm. Like virtually, you know, next to none of them. It was about the same number in the Boston series. 
They just the perception was this team can't beat a skilled team. But like I said off the top, if you go back and look over the regular season and just don't look at core numbers, don't look at core C and goals against, look at how they played against good teams, the best teams. And that was really the indicator that should have let all of us know that this was a far more real possibility uh, than a lot of people thought it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 one of those things where, you know, I've gone back and, and, and you know, uh, as you're well aware, some of the guys doing these things for, you know, NHL.com or ESPN or, you know, the Bleacher Report or the USA Today or TSN or whatever, they're, they're friends of mine. You know, we're all in the same business. We do the same thing. And so I kind of joked them. I said, yeah. You never could have. Who could have thought that Ottawa would get 700 consecutive lucky bounces? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. But uh, but it's one of those things where I think sometimes we, like anybody else, get caught up in what we assume something is until it's proven sure. to us that it's not that. And I think we're all kind of. I'm kind of guilty of that, and I think we all are kind of guilty of that. And I think on mass, all of us who people look to make prognostications because they're fun and, and kind of cool to do. We've all been led down the wrong path because we weren't looking at the things that were really the indicators of what this team really was. And that is how they play, how they fared against elite competition. And over the course of the regular season, they fared very well against elite competition. Some of the best games they played and had their best success was against teams like Chicago and Washington and Pittsburgh. You know, like Ottawa, these teams only played two times in the regular season. Ottawa beat Pittsburgh twice. So I wasn't completely completely uh, understanding how there were so many experts who were calling for a Pittsburgh sweep in this series. But again, I think, Don, you know, it's kind of one of those things. There is a perception thing. The perception is, well, Pittsburgh's got way more skill, so they're going to win that. Well, unless Ottawa plays a system that negates skill, then then what are we talking about? Exactly. Well, that's why this sport's so much fun, because you can't predict it, and that's why it's so entertaining for sure. Dean, before I let you go, uh, Craig Anderson, one of the reasons this team is here is because of the way he's played. I think the nation knows his story, what's going on with his wife, with the throat cancer, but just tell us how much he has contributed with his play to this team being where they are. Well, you know what, over the course of his career, over the course of Craig Anderson's career, you know, routinely he has not been considered one of the elite goaltenders in this league. And I think one of the reasons, and fairly so, is that he has had injury issues in that he doesn't play full seasons. On all, in almost every season he has played, he has suffered an injury, which has kept him out. In this case, this year, he has been kept out not through injury, but because you know he missed basically half the season. You know, being with his wife uh, while while she was going through cancer treatments and is struggling with uh, you know a cancer diagnosis, so he's missed for a different personal reason. But I think I think with Craig Anderson again, if you look behind the numbers, any time that he's been healthy and playing, his numbers indicate that during those times he's been one of the top five goalies in the league. So I think here in Ottawa, where people recognize that and look at those numbers and say, okay, you know, if you take a year-long average, if you take a year-long average, his numbers aren't as great. Well, one of the reasons was because he missed 30 games with this or missed 20 games with that. But if you look at where he was in the league when he got injured, you go, well, holy mackerel, he was third in this and second in that. Yeah. And I, and I think now, because Ottawa's gotten further along, people are looking at Craig Anderson and realizing – He's actually not playing over his head. When he's healthy, this is how he plays. And so I think that's another one of the realizations around the league that people are having about this team is they had the perception that Craig Anderson wasn't an elite-level goaltender. Well, the fact is that when over his career he's been healthy, he actually has been. And so I think that's probably another thing that this, you know, getting to the conference final has kind of brought to the forefront in the way people perceive Craig Anderson.
Yeah, for sure. And chance to uh, get a stranglehold of this series if you can get a pick victory tonight. You'll have the call on the radio side. Dean, it's always fun to see you. Um, got a chance to hang out a lot towards the end of the season. Got to call the second to last regular season a game and, of course, those games in the second round. So if I don't catch up with you again, have a tremendous summer and hope this run goes a long way for you. Me too. Get paid by the game. Eh? There's no I in team, but it's two an invoice. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. Anytime, Don. All right, that's Dean Brown. He is the voice of the Ottawa Senators. Fun to talk to him because, you know, the elephant in the room with the Ottawa Senators clearly is, well, not a lot of people pay attention to him, especially here in the States. I bet you even up in Canada, right? Toronto, Montreal gets the majority of the attention. Uh, the kind of season the Edmonton Oilers had out west that, of course, the, a lot of attention is going to be directed away from the Ottawa Senators. Not a playoff team last year, and of course, here in the States. Pittsburgh is a known quantity. Rangers a known quantity. Boston a known quantity. The teams they played so far in the playoffs. So, But you start to get to know this team and you start to watch this team, you begin to realize this this is legit. It's not a fluke. Now, they still have work to do. They haven't won the series yet. Uh, they're only up two games to one, but they're two steps away from going to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in ten years and I wanted to get to Dean on. And now we know that it's going to be Murray uh, between the pipes. You can get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. Eric Wozniak, one of our friends, says, replace goalie who had shutouts in last two wins for team after a tough outing in the playoffs talk about no margin for error ouch i think you have to look and dean said you know there's different ways to look at it but murray was the starting goaltender at the beginning of the playoffs he was going to be their goaltender in game one against the columbus blue jackets in the first round he got injured in warm-ups and then flurry came in so flurry even though he's won a cup uh and even though he's He's getting paid $6 million a year. He was technically the backup. So now the backup has blinked, and now they gave the starter back. So if you look at it that way, it's not that much of, wow, he's got no margin for error. Maybe it's just a case of we believe, we being the Pittsburgh Penguins, that Murray's the better goaltender. And even though Flurry got us here, he had a real bad game. We're down two games to one. We're in almost a must-win situation. Let's go back with our number 1 goaltender, who, by the way, got us a Stanley Cup last year. So... I would have kept Flurry because he got you here, but it's not like you're going to some unknown commodity. He is your starting goaltender. He did win you a cup last year. Uh, a guy says um, 12 minutes ago, Murray in for Flurry. Sullivan bold move if they win tonight uh, and the series, he is going to be a genius. Lose and he's a fool. I, I don't know if he'd be a fool guy because, again, I look at it, he can always say, Murray's our starting goaltender. Flurry did a nice job, but. He unfortunately had a bad game. This gave us the opportunity to go back to our starting goaltender. And to Dean's point about how do you go back to Flurry then, if Murray were to screw up, well, I guess you just say to Flurry, listen, you're a veteran and we need you and we want you to come in and help us out. And let's face it, if this does not work tonight and Ottawa wins, you're now facing elimination. So you can't really worry about hurt feelings. It's just the desperation of trying to stay alive. So nobody knows this team better than Mike Sullivan, knows the goaltending situation, fresh off of winning a cup last year with Murray. So I'm surprised, but I don't think it's that outlandish of a situation that they decided uh, to go back to Murray. Not what I would have done, but I don't think it's that huge of a surprise. All right, last night, great game. Ducks have a 2-0 lead. Nashville, Nashville can't get anything going. They score on the power play. And then they get back-to-back power plays and a long five-on-three with a chance to tie it and don't. And it looked like, all right, the Ducks are out of the woods. But pull the goaltender, they get the tying goal from Forsberg, and they go into overtime with all the momentum. But 
Sometimes it's not the best team. It's not the team with the momentum. It's the team that gets that one opportunity and kind of a fluky goal goes over the stick or hits the stick of P.K. Subban off the shot from the wall and... Perry gets the game-winning goal, and the Ducks even the series of two games apiece. You knew it it was inevitable that Nashville was going to lose a home game, 10 straight home games in the playoffs with a victory. They fought back. They won. It's been such an interesting series because no lead has been safe for either team. So I think these next three games, and I do think they will be three games, I think this series is going to go seven. Certainly a lot of fun to watch. But P.K. Subban giveth, and he taketh away. But Thompson on the doorstep tried to move him. Stick got in the way. That's the kind of way that these games go. And i got to go back to Pecorino. Now, he didn't have as bad a game as he had in Game 2 where he gave up four goals. But again, both goals that he gave up for the Ducks, not the kind of goals you're used to see Pecorino give up. So I'm going to keep an eye on him. Gibson still shocks me. I know I sound so anti-Duck, but... Gibson just does it in a weird way. Steve Carroll's the radio play-by-play voice. We were trying to get him on the show today. We're going to try to get him on next week because I think this series is going to extend deep into next week and get his thoughts on it. Doesn't it look like every time Gibson makes a save, he has to help himself up? He just looks like he's hurt. He looks like he's exhausted, but he's getting the job done. And Rene has blinked a couple of times here in this series, certainly not the goaltender that he was in the first two when he came in with some ridiculous 952 save percentage. That's going to be a fun series the rest of the way as the scene now shifts to Anaheim for tomorrow with the series even at two games apiece. And, of course, we got the game four in Ottawa tonight, Senators and the Penguins with Ottawa up two games to one. Uh, Marcelo, one of our devil friends, and I was waiting for him to chime in about this. A lot of news and rumors swirling about Kovalchuk. Where does he end up, or do you think he even comes back at all? He's going to come back. I mean, this is where the money is. I think this is where the fame is. I think he wanted to go back to Russia, but the fact that he's indicating wanting to come back to the NHL, he's telling you that this is where he belongs. Now, I'm hearing rumors the Rangers are interested. Anytime you hear, Marcelo, of a team other than the Devils interested, you have to realize for him to end up on one of those teams, the Devils have to make a deal. Rangers and Devils have never made a trade since the Devils moved from Colorado to New Jersey. I can't imagine the Devils would make a trade to give that kind of an impact player to a divisional rival. And I'm not sure the Rangers, with a little bit of an unknown from Kovalchuk, who hasn't played in the league for a while, they're going to give up something significant in New Jersey to test that out. So I don't see him going to the Rangers. I do see him going someplace. Does he fit with what the Devils want to do? Well, i got to tell you, the Devils hurt for goals this year. How many games, Marcelo, did we watch the Devils play where they were short a goal? And now you can bring in a guy that can flat-out score those goals. Now, I don't know what Ray Shiro's plan is. He's going to be adding the first overall pick in this year's draft. You got a chance to bring Kovalchuk back. Yeah, the organization feels jaded for him leaving in the first place. But I got to tell you, I think that he is going to be back, and the Devils should consider trying to fit him on the roster. If not, try to get something back significant for him. Because I got to be honest with you, I think he's coming back to the National Hockey League. It makes no sense for him to stay in the KHL. And if he's starting to indicate wanting to come back to the NHL, believe me. There will be avenues in which he can play in the National Hockey League. It's just a question of what team, and I find it difficult to believe there would be an, a, a Metropolitan Division team. I'm not sure Ray Shiro wants to have Kovalchuk haunt him in his division, and I'm not sure any of those division teams want to send a significant piece to find out if Kovalchuk if they can indeed haunt a team again. All right, we got a big weekend, a lot of interesting games. Would not be surprised if Pittsburgh bounced back tonight. We could possibly have two 
conference finals, even at two games apiece, going deep into next week. We're going to be all over it. Like I said, we're going to try to get uh, Steve Carroll on, play-by-play voice of the Ducks. Of course, EJ will join us Monday, our weekly spot with him. A lot going on. I want to also get into these you know, top 100, uh, top 50 Stanley Cup teams that NHL.com is coming to. They trimmed it down to the top 20. I want to get into that. We've got the draft coming up we've got to get into. There's a lot of things we can dive into, and you can get in touch with us at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We try to get to all of the tweets when we can. Uh, can't always, but try to get to them, so send them to me during the course of the night, hashtag Game Misconduct, so I can find them at Don LaGreca. Uh, you can go to the ESPN app. You can go to Apple iTunes if you want to find Game Misconduct and subscribe, because we try to do our best every single day to give you hockey to people that don't normally get it in their usual platform. So thanks to Dean Brown, voice of the Ottawa Senators. He's got the call tonight. Thanks so much for listening. This was the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.